Before we kick off the show today, I wanted to let you know that I'll be speaking at a new Ruby conference called Isle of Ruby in Exeter, UK, happening April 13th through the 15th. At its core, it is a Ruby conference, but it also prompts the question of how our code affects everyone around us. They are still looking for sponsors and attendees. For our listeners, you can get 5% off when you apply the code LINEUP5. That's L-I-N-E-U-P-5. Do note the conference ticket includes all meals and a hotel stay. More information can be found at isleofruby.org. With that, today we're going international. I am joined with Christoph Oljovka, the creator of Ruby Toolbox and SimpleCov. He's based in Hamburg, Germany, and works as a freelance software developer. Welcome Hi. to the show, Christoph. <laughs> Hello, thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. It's, it's awesome to have you. So I'd love to Thanks. kick it off by asking you what brought you to the Ruby community. Um, so I started web development as a teenager um, in the early 2000s. And uh, by the time I started going to college, um, I started working at a small uh, software development consultancy here in Hamburg. And uh, yeah, through that uh, job, I um, pretty quickly got into Ruby because... Uh, in around mid-2006, we switched uh, our entire development to uh, Ruby on Rails and uh, yeah, started um, only doing development on Rails, uh, started going to uh, conferences and so on. So yeah, uh, somehow it stuck <laughs> afterwards. It doesn't it. <laughs> um, so with the rise and fall of so many different programming languages, why do you continue to invest so much time into Ruby? Uh, well, I think Ruby is a very good fit for many uh, problems in software development. It's uh, very stable, robust, um, and yeah, it's as it's all uh, frequently said and quoted. It's a programmer's uh, best friend, maybe, or yeah, it just it's so expressive. It lets you um, focus on solving your problems and not uh, yeah, fighting your compiler or uh, your yeah, I don't know, your interpreter, your your syntax. Um, and yeah, I think that uh, really is a compelling offering, especially with, uh, yeah, over the years Ruby got much more stable, the ecosystem around it uh, stabilized. So we have so many very robust solutions, uh, Rails upgrades, Ruby upgrades are usually absolutely no, uh, no effort from my experience in, in recent years. This used to be very different for like considering the switch, for example, from Rails 2 to Rails 3 or upgrading from Ruby 1.8 to Ruby 1.9 was uh, also quite painful and this isn't happening in recent years. It's just so robust. Um, I really like that. I really appreciate it. It lets me solve the problems that I'm facing in my daily work very efficiently and I really appreciate that. That's great. Well, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with a project that you actively work on, um, Ruby Toolbox. Ruby Toolbox has been a great joy for me to have because it is a really great resource whenever I am implementing something new in Ruby or Rails and I want to get an idea of what what kind of support uh, the community already has around that type of feature. So a good example would be converting a PDF, mm -hmm. importing a CSV. It's just a great resource to see what kind of code is out there for you to be able to use as a developer. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear from you what the story of the creation of Ruby Toolbox is. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty uh, small beginnings actually. Um, in early 2009, I think um, there was some blog post. I think some Rails consultancy had this post this question. I had, yeah, I think they even had this little contest going, um, which project in specific categories like background processing and so on will be the most have the most GitHub stars um, by RailsConf, which would happen in May. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I uh, reading through that, I uh, got curious which one are which ones are actually the most popular, which ones uh, are people starring the most, and yeah, from that uh, pretty quickly evolved the idea to actually build a website that does this kind of thing um, automatically, basically for you, so you don't have to uh, open every single repository um, on GitHub, hunt it down. Um, back then, I think even the uh, linking to the source code of, of uh, this was not uh, gem cutter ruby gems yet uh, it was uh, ruby forge based i think it was pretty hard to actually find the source code for your the ruby gems you were wondering about so yeah i just wanted to make it a bit easier uh, it seemed like uh, like a thing that would be useful to to me in my daily work and yeah turns out it was quite useful to other people as well that's great i'm a huge fan that if something's gonna be useful to you then likely it's gonna be useful to a lot of people mm -hmm. so i think that's a great attitude um so have you seen it had have an impact on the ruby community well i guess uh, i hope i think so um it's uh, it's been around for uh, nine years almost now and uh, yeah i'm just judging by the um by the response, by the community response, uh, when the server went down last summer, I think uh, it has made quite a lasting um, impact on the community. At, if I'm at conferences or uh, user groups and so on, many people, once they find out I'm, I'm the Ruby Toolbox uh, guy, it's, uh, yeah, they usually uh, come, come by with lots of praise and, yeah, uh, are very grateful that, that uh, I've made their uh, development life easier in some way. And That's yeah. awesome. Well, as you um, you recently wrote a fantastic blog explaining why, after the Toolbox mm -hmm. server crashed, you decided to spend the time both bringing it back online and then open sourcing it. Why? Uh, well, <laughs> it's uh, I, uh, it's quite a passion project. Obviously, I wouldn't have uh, stuck around with it for for nine years. Um, however, like when I was starting out, I was still a college student, so I had much more time um, to work on this. Um, so uh, over the past few years, uh, the site was quite in decline, uh, unfortunately, because I just couldn't find the time to, to put into it. Um, but uh, yeah, so basically, once the servers went down, um, I decided to, to ask the community if they even still want this, if this is still something that is uh, relevant to you. So um, yeah, I've, I've for years uh, been planning to or intending to, to um, open source the existing site but uh, yeah never never quite got around to this for for many reasons um, partly for example because uh, this has also always been a playground for me to try out new things and uh, yeah there were quite quite few things that I, that I've built over the years that were not really relevant anymore um, so the code base got really uh, yeah a bit long around the tooth and I didn't see that really as a good starting point for for um, yeah, taking it into a new direction um, and yeah, for make it, making it ready for, um, for what Ruby is nowadays. So um, with that being said, I uh, yeah, definitely considered rebuilding it from scratch. And uh, yeah, luckily, quite quickly, um, people started uh, responding on, on that GitHub issue that they'd really love to, to have a Ruby toolbox back. Um, to help out if they can, however they can, and also um, Ruby Together approached me whether they could or whether I would be interested in them sponsoring a couple of hours per week uh, of development on that, um, which is really, really cool. Um, so yeah, from there uh, I got to work uh, and uh, in early February we finally were able to relaunch this. 
<laughs> That's fantastic. And um, so basically you opened a, a GitHub issue mm-hmm. and just asked, you know, solicited the community whether or not they wanted to have this yeah. tool back. And just yeah. based on that, you got enough feedback that you wanted to bring it back. Yeah. Um, well, I, to, as I said in, in the previous question, basically this has always also been useful to me and I still uh, would like to have something like that or at that point when, when the server crashed, um, which, yeah. Uh, so for me it was always like I would like to have this again and bring it back but uh, yeah all, spending all this time for free uh, again uh, to bring it back up was probably would not have worked um, or at least it would have taken much longer so it's really cool that I also got the um, got the backing from Ruby together on this and yeah I mean there was so much uh, outpouring of love basically oh, from the community <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, w- I really uh, appreciate that There's, there were so many people saying like yeah this is really cool it's really helped me and but yeah the the, the opening question and the discussion was uh, very open to me and I think I also wrote that because uh, over the years also alternatives have popped up there's these uh, awesome lists on, on, on github for example um, and yeah quite a few other tools that, or, or websites or services that are um, yeah, quite frequently actually inspired by the Ruby toolbox as uh, the maintainers of these things then posted on the on the on this issue that I uh, had opened up on GitHub. But yeah, also um, the for example the maintainer of the awesome Ruby lists uh, chipped in and he said like yeah I definitely um, would also like to see a Ruby toolbox. I think there is a place for both both things in the community and yeah so from there um i had enough uh, backing to to think yeah okay it's worthwhile to actually spend time to to bring this back that's excellent so i'd like to dig a little bit into how ruby toolbox works so how yeah. does it how does the ranking algorithm work for recommending projects on ruby toolbox mm, it's uh, been quite simple for for the past few years or like basically from the beginning um, it's just based on uh, the number of forks and stars by uh, on github and um, yeah then uh, also the downloads on ruby gems and then it basically combines these two things and um, and calculates sets it into relation to the most popular uh, most starred most most forked repositories on github into the most downloads and then basically you get a scale like uh, the most popular project would then be 100 uh, on the scoring, uh, on the ranking, and uh, yeah, everyone else basically, um, <laughs> which who's not Rails <laughs> or one dependency, has a much a smaller number. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think <laughs> that Ruby Toolbox will ever integrate the idea of a project being deprecated or no longer being maintained uh, to um, rank into the algorithm? Uh, yes, actually, there's um, an open issue um, on on that. Um, on, on, on the Ruby Toolbox repository, um, this came uh, this this raised from from a question f- um, from people contributing to the Ruby Toolbox catalog over the recent months. It's uh, in a separate repository, but it's basically YAML files where um, the projects um, are filed into categories. <coughs> and this um, this question came up pretty early on because there's quite a few projects that are obviously not maintained anymore. Um, I'm not yet sure how to handle this best, but uh, yeah, it would definitely be helpful. But, so uh, basically, are you saying that our listeners uh, should go and visit that issue and <laughs> maybe take a look yeah. and make some suggestions? Then? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the um, common uh, suggestion by by um, 
people who have been contributing to the catalog was um, often that that they should just rem they would they wanted just to remove the projects from the categories, um, which I was kind of trying to slow down a bit because I think we would lose information that this project at some point was helpful. I mean, maybe this is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, maybe I'm trying to do archaeology and software development there too much. Uh, maybe we should just drop them. I don't know if it's worth the effort, but if we had some system to actually f just flag projects as deprecated or archived, mm -hmm. um, I think we would still have the option to display them somehow grayed out in the sidebar or something. And uh, yeah, maybe someone someday is looking at the existing solutions for a given problem and just realizes, oh, this is not really helping me and finds this old uh, cranky thing that has been <laughs> deprecated five years ago but uh, actually the code is really nice and with mm -hmm. a little work on it I don't know maybe um, but no, I think uh, that's a great idea I often find myself tech, uh, taking on technical challenges at work mm -hmm. or my personal projects and one of the yeah. first things that I'll do is I'll just peruse GitHub for code. And so yeah. it doesn't matter to me when it was written, if it's yeah. written well, and even if it's not even in Ruby, sometimes I get a lot yeah. of ideas. So just because a project's deprecated doesn't yeah. mean that it doesn't have That's valuable cool. code, yeah. but you might not want to include it as a dependency into your project. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, uh, there's always uh, multiple aspects to this whole to, um, yeah, act of choosing a library. And yeah, I'm actually also um, considering integrating the um, archived flag that GitHub uh, added a couple of months ago. Oh, uh, yes. you, can, you can flag your um, repository as archived, um, but I'm not sure uh, how many projects actually are using this. But uh, yeah, I hope to uh, expand the, the display of the project metrics uh, over the next few months in a way that it makes it easier for, for anyone to just tell if this project is well maintained or still active just by looking at the numbers, um, by comparing it to other projects and so on. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I think it uh, would be really helpful to, uh, if it was pretty clear that projects might not be maintained anymore or abandoned or, yeah. Now, are you still the sole maintainer of Ruby Toolbox or have you located other people to review, you know, issues being opened, you know, mm -hmm. pull requests being submitted? How does that work? Um, for now, it's just me still, um, but mostly because I haven't really looked around yet. Um, yeah, my time is uh, still quite limited on this. I'm just only spending like uh, moonlighting basically a couple of hours per week. Um, so yeah, also setting up the community on it is quite a challenge. But sure. I think there's there's quite a few people who are actually interested in it. And um, yeah, I think there's a set of people who are actually also already contributing frequently or on a regular basis um, based on pull requests. But uh, yeah, no formal additional contributors yet. <laughs> Great. I'm, I really hope this will change. <laughs> I hope so for you too as well. <laughs> um, so let's just take a step back. Uh, Ruby just celebrated its 25th anniversary mm -hmm. and you've been in a really cool position to watch Ruby evolve as a community. Um, mm -hmm. What has that been like, and have you seen any impact of JavaScript in, uh, impacting that? Hmm. <laughs> the second question is a bit tough. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, 
I, I see lots of parallels in the development of or how the community around Ruby evolved when I got started with it in 2006 and how JavaScript has been um, yeah, evolving in the, in the past few years. Although I think in JavaScript's case, in, at a much larger scale even because um, the, the, the target audience of JavaScript, I think, is even bigger considering that they also have front-end development and JavaScript's also on the, fr uh, on the server side. And yeah, it's used in so many different environments. But um, yeah, this uh, high fluctuation in the libraries and lots of things happening, very cool things also happening. But uh, yeah, this, there's always a trade-off. I, I think I also mentioned this earlier. Um, when uh, I was telling like how the Ruby community um, stabilized and, and how things have evolved over time, I think, um, yeah, in the JavaScript community, this is obviously also happening, but uh, they are quite at a different stage currently. Um, so I think this has upsides and downsides. It's uh, There's many ideas and cool new things being tried out because you just have this pouring in of uh, people who are very passionate to yeah, just play with the language, uh, do cool things. Uh, maybe also sometimes run into the wrong direction and uh, <laughs> track back a bit. Um, but yeah, I think there's lots of parallels between what happened in the first years when I got started with Ruby and and JavaScript. And yeah, I I think eventually the libraries that basically everyone likes to use or the um, also the development patterns um, start emerging and the community settles a bit and yeah i think this is also very uh, very beneficial to the community i agree all right well we're going to pause for a quick sponsor break on the other side we're going to dig into SimpleCov and christoph's advice to the open source community This week's episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Rollbar. So we all deal with errors, errors in our applications, errors in our mobile applications, errors in our lives. Last one, Rollbar can't help you with, but the first two, it's going to be pretty good. Instead of relying on users to report your errors or digging through log files or tailing logs as things happen, with Rollbar's error monitoring, you get the full stack trace, context, and the user data to help you find and fix impactful errors fast. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, you can send alerts to Slack or HipChat, or you can automatically create new issues in Jira, Pivotal Tracker, or Trello. You can add the Rollbar Ruby SDK as easy as gem install Rollbar, start tracking application errors in minutes. There's a ton of cool features in uh, Rollbar's Ruby gem. The one that I'm most interested in is deep linking into your GitHub repo. So if you've ever seen an error with a traceback and you uh, trying to figure out what exactly is going on, you can just link into your GitHub repo. So you can click on the stack trace and go to exactly where you're going. Um, if you use any Rack framework, you automatically get parameters, headers, session data, cookies, things like that. It supports Q frameworks out of the box, so Sidekick, Rescue, and Delayed Job. And you can also configure Rollbar's front-end JavaScript SDK without having to install it manually. We have a special offer for listeners. If you go to rollbar.com ruby, you can sign up and get the bootstrap plan for free. Rollbar is loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. So go to rollbar.com ruby, sign up, and get the bootstrap plan for free. Thanks so much to Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast, and now, back to the show. And we're back. 
So um, Simple Cub is one of my absolute favorite gems. As the listeners know, I was previously a bootcamp mentor and I used to train uh, junior developers on how to use Ruby and Ruby on Rails. And one of the absolute first gems I always had them install was Simple Cub. I would actually devote one of my appointments just to explain how to generate the coverage report, how to click through it and really understand what code was being covered. And I really couldn't have done it without Simple Cub. So um, for those not familiar with the project, can you explain how it works, Christoph? Um, well, from a high level perspective, basically it uh, peeks at uh, the test suite that you're running and it tells you what lines of code your test suite did not hit. Um, from a more technical perspective, it's uh, basically a nice little wrapper around a library called Coverage that is part of the Ruby standard library since Ruby 1.9. Um, so uh, yeah, it basically gives um, you some additional tooling to, to make this more feasible to work with. For example, the HTML rendering, um, for example, tooling for setting minimum coverage uh, that you expect your, um, uh, your test suite to have. Uh, or otherwise your build could fail um, and uh, yeah for example to filter out the, the source code files from all the gems that you are actually using from the final report because usually you don't care about that um, so yeah what caused you to it's, build the project was it something that you were doing for a freelance project already or did you just see it as something that you felt was needed by the community <laughs> actually uh, yeah um, this was also initiated by a blog post, uh, this time from Aaron Patterson, uh, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Aaron is uh, obviously a very smart man, and uh, he, I think he had this hunch that uh, it would be helpful to have a good uh, code coverage tool in the Ruby community. But I think he thought he would not have time to, to actually build this himself. So he made this nice blog post uh, quite a few, a few years back um, where he was uh, basically showing this new coverage library in the, in the, um, in that has been added to Ruby 1.9. Um, so yeah, basically I read that and uh, it was a Friday. I had a weekend off, um, nothing scheduled for the weekend, got, got to my computer and uh, started uh, coding. And actually, yeah, quite uh, early, I think it was already at, at what uh, everyone's knowing as simple cuff by wow. now. I am very impressed with your ambition. <laughs> it's quite fantastic. But I love the fact that um, a developer saw an opportunity in the community, wrote a blog post asking for help, and that someone, I don't even know if you knew Aaron at the time, but you went and sat down and really just focused on building something, an MVP really, to get out over the weekend is, is really quite cool and something very special, I think, in the Ruby community. Yeah. So speaking of gems, um, because you run Ruby Toolbox and have been mm -hmm. in the Ruby community for so long, do you have any favorite gems or libraries you think our audience should know about? Um, well, there's, there's quite a few, uh, obviously, that I'm using in my daily work. Um, I lean towards using uh, slimmer gems that um, like maybe don't uh, do too much uh, like full full rails engines and so on i usually try to avoid these um because i think it's uh too hard to adapt them to to your needs as your project evolves but obviously this also really depends on whether you want to get something out of the door really really quick or yeah you're going more for the long run and already anticipate that things might uh, need customization down the road um so yeah for example um i really like the concurrent ruby library 
and and celluloid which uh, i think give really cool tooling for working with uh, concurrency in in ruby um i uh, really like uh, tony arcieri's uh, http library i think that's uh, yeah a very sane way to do http requests in in ruby and use it all the time um sidekick for example probably everyone's familiar with that i think um mike perham is doing amazing job on that and also find it really fascinating how he managed to build uh, a whole like uh, business um out of of the, out of this out of this amazing uh, software library that that he's uh, built over the years so i completely agree um mike has been on a previous episode of the ruby mm -hmm. on rails podcast so be sure to uh, look for that episode if you are interested yeah. listeners but i completely agree all those libraries i use in my day to day and mm -hmm. they're really quite great they're just, just amazing how many um amazing gems are out there mm -hmm. so after more than 10 years of commits to open source mm -hmm. what sort of advice do you have for maintainers who are just getting started <laughs> um, don't underestimate how much time this will cost you. It's uh, it's really um, once your project takes off and, and gets popular, you will get much like many questions, many um, issue reports, uh, which is both very humbling and very very cool. But on the other hand, also is uh, can consume crazy amounts of time. So um, ideally before you really uh, announce your project or yeah put it put it out there really consider um how much time you are intend to dedicate to this whole thing and uh yeah maybe um also consider whether uh you can bring in other people to help you also out on this um so yeah so you can maybe um sp share share the the um the burden the amount the burden yeah, not yes. really the burden i didn't want to say the burden um but um, the, the joyful burden the, <laughs> the amount of work basically um it's uh, yeah and um, also i would highly recommend uh, getting your documentation and the readme um mm -hmm. up to speed really fast maybe um try to pay attention for um common common questions that you are getting and try to put this stuff into the readme this is something that's um yeah uh, took Quite some um, experimentation on, on SimpleCov actually because it's um, the the way SimpleCov or the coverage standard library Ruby library needs to be set up is a bit specific because you have to first load that and only after that you can load your application code so um, because otherwise it can't track the files um, that um, that you want to uh, have coverage reports for and this is if you're doing it wrong then you won't get coverage data or you will get wrong coverage mm -hmm. data missing partial files and so on and over the years there's been probably hundreds of issue reports revolving basically around this entire question on SimpleCov. so yeah I've, i think uh, me and my um, maintainer co-maintainers of, of the library have been um yeah trying to to make the readme really clear but they sometimes they still pop up <laughs> So yeah, just just try to make um, your documentation really clear. If there's common questions, put it just to the top, um, so people know how to uh, yeah how to tackle common problems and how to report them. 
No, that's a very insightful comment about putting it towards the top because we all know that people tend to not read the whole thing. So, no, that is yeah. a very good point. Yes. Um, so now's the time for the call to action for our listeners. Other than supporting Ruby Together, which, by the way, you should, um, how can the community help you with all of your projects? Well, uh, jump in on, on the issue tracker. Try to find uh, questions or open issues that maybe don't have a satisfying answer. Um, and yeah, try to uh, maybe um, answer some questions, expand on the questions quite frequently. The, if for SimpleCuff, the, the bug reports are um, a bit short on, on detail on how to reproduce these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be really helpful to just go in and if you find an issue that someone's reported and it doesn't state the Ruby version number or anything to reproduce this, it can be super helpful to um, just ask, like, can you provide more details, please? Um, so that's one thing that can be done. Other than that, uh, yeah, if you find something, especially on the Ruby toolbox, um, it's still very fresh. It's uh, just been launched. Um, obviously, it's, it has quite uh, some, some legacy in it, but it's a completely new app and quite a few things are missing. If you would like to see something, uh, open an issue, please, or, or find an issue that may be already... Um, handles this topic or is about this topic, but please uh, feel free to, to open up uh, a new issue to, to suggest things. Um, that's uh, yeah, lo- actually also really helpful. So it's, uh, it's easier to decide which direction to head to. Great. Well, <laughs> lastly, um, how can our listeners follow up, follow up with what you're up to? Will we be seeing you at any conferences this year? Um, well, not in the U.S., I think. <laughs> I've, uh, since my son was born uh, in 2014, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> um, I cut down a bit on my traveling um, to, to the overseas. Um, but uh, I, we have a an conference happening here in Hamburg, actually, in uh, early May. I think it's 5th and 6th. It's called Ruby Unconference Hamburg. Um, I'm going to be there. Uh, and um, other than that, we... Uh, Every year we have the European Ruby Conferences uh, Conference, the Euruco, which is this year happening in Vienna. Oh, it's a, it's a, a community-organized uh, conference, and it's always um, basically at, at the end of every Euruco. Uh, teams from other cities can suggest that they want to host, mm-hmm. and then there's a public vote at the end of the Euruco, and then it's settled where it's going to happen next year. So, uh, yeah, this year it's um, going to be Vienna. Um, it's end of August, I think, and uh, yeah, you can. Um, yeah, it's always worth a trip, I think. Both Vienna and uh, Euruco, it's always lots of fun. That sounds really awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Christoph. I hope you all enjoyed this interview and we will talk to you soon.